Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. Alright, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, hope you're keeping well. Today I'm chatting with Fergus Farrell. Great to have you on, Fergus. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here. So I suppose just to start off, um, maybe give people a bit of a background on your journey. I first came across you, I heard about you about 18 months ago, and you mentioned the injury that you had and the journey back from that. So I suppose, yeah, give people a bit of a, an insight in your background. Yeah, so I suppose um, I've had two lives, really, you know, one pre-accident and one uh, post-accident. And um, so the accident was I... Uh, just lifted a bench in my workplace here you know I was self-employed and I was lifting a metal bench and um I uh, as I lifted it I ruptured my T9 T10 and T11 which are my thoracic discs in my back which are on mid-range and then uh the T10 went through my spinal cord and severed my spinal cord by 90 percent I was left paralyzed from my belly button down uh in an instant um with massive massive amount of trauma and pain and I was given the prognosis of never walking again because I was classed as a grade A spinal cord injury, which I think it's two in a million uh, re- people receive. Um, and that's what the, my prognosis was. But uh, thankfully, uh, that wasn't um, that's what that wasn't how things happened, panned out. Yeah. And so how did they pan out then? Well, I suppose, um, well, I suppose I better give you a small bit of a background. Um when the doctor came over to me at the surgeon, sorry, I, w- I was rushed up to the Manor Hospital and uh, uh, got the operation done, which was like eight and a half, nine hour operation, and obviously woke up the the you know uh, the next day and uh, still completely emotionless, still a massive amount of pain, and uh, the doctor was talking away to himself, and I wasn't really hearing what he was saying, and I was kind of just looking at my legs, going, "This is very, very serious." And uh, could see them, could um, could touch them, but couldn't feel myself touching them, couldn't move them, couldn't do anything. I mean, and it was because it was above my belly weight, I was center of gravity was gone, so I couldn't even move myself. So I was eventually turned around. I just turned around to him and said, "Is this the way I'm going to be?" And he turns around and goes, um, "Yeah, you've been very, very unlucky." He just put his hands on my shoulder and literally walked out after that. And then the following day, he came back in and then um, he gave me the stats when I was obviously in a place where I could, um, you know, receive the news. And um, so he told me, if I got moved within 72 hours after operation, I've a 5% chance of gaining some sort of strength. Now, he didn't say walk around today, but some sort of strength and some sort of movement. After 72 hours, if I haven't got any movement back, zero. No, no nothing. No percentage of no chance. So um, within that 72 hours, obviously, I tried my best to get my, my, myself moving. Um, I used visualization massively uh, throughout that 72 hours. And 
on the 72-hour stroke, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. So, as you know, um, that was pretty hard to take. But thankfully, 21 days later, I, I stayed persevering with the um, with my with my visualization. Stayed persevering with every minute I had to keep fighting, you know. And uh, thankfully, 21 days later, half two down in Galway after getting transferred down to Galway, um, I moved my big right toe, and I said, "The rest is history," you know. Yeah, brilliant. And so, I was thinking back about the injury, like just a freak. So, yeah. like you were. You're all fit and healthy, and you're all good, and you're uh, left on a bench. And or... no, no, I wasn't fit and healthy. Now, be honest, yeah, I was 23 stone. Uh, I was living a lifestyle that um, was all stress. I had a business, I had two businesses going. I had the Mercedes Benz franchisee for a bus and coach in the west of Ireland. I also operated a 35 coach company with 65 employees. I was building a new house at the time of self-build um, with three kids. I had no time for anything. I was really running from one place and I was eating takeaways. I was not looking after my health. Absolutely not. And this is from a person who used to look after themselves pretty well when I was younger, you know. So I, I bloomed to 23 stone without myself even knowing. And I come so inflexible and so obese and so unhealthy. Um, I got to a stage whereby... When I was lifting this bench, I had, I was so tight around my midriff area. Usually when lifting a bench, it's something in the lumbar region that, that goes. And that's why the surgeon said to me, I was very unlucky. Because I didn't know this until later on. But I was the first person inside the doors of the National Rehabilitation Hospital with a thoracic injury from lifting. Usually... All was, was lumbar region, and like lumbar region is a totally different ball game to thoracic region when it comes to spinal injuries. And uh, that's why he said I was very unlucky. And I obviously didn't realize what he really, really meant at that time when he was saying it to me. I thought he was just saying I was unlucky because I was paralyzed, but I was unlucky in the way I got paralyzed. And uh, yeah, so that's that. So, no, Brian, I was living a horrible, horrible life, but I thought it was the life to be living. Because that's what society tells you, you know, the big car, the big house, big employees, big turnover, you know, your pillar of society. So, excuse the expression, it's all rubbish, you know, but that's what society tells you. 100%. Mm. You know, so I still tell you this and like society doesn't tell you anything like about, you know, success in life to me now is, you know, having time for your kids, having time to develop and grow relationships having fun with your friends and your family, um, having no stress in your life. You know, uh, you don't hear those anywhere in social media. You don't see any of that. You know, it's all about, you know, you know, even, you know, you don't, like even you see the, 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 the um, I suppose, the, the reels for the holidays. It's all big fancy holidays people are going on and these, you know, Instagram locations that cost bloody 20,000 to go to and they're all jetting off in their private planes and everything like that. You know, it's, that's, that's the world we're in, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? It, it is, yeah, because I can get, from now I know myself, like, the best thing I can do is spend time with my kids and people that I love. Absolutely, 100%. No, look, I still have to go and make a living. I still have to go and do certain things, you know, but I'm not going to put myself out of the way anymore um, to, um, you know, that will uh, 
destroying relationship I have with my family and, and my friends. Like I just, I just won't. Whereas before, business and finances and everything came first. You know, that was it. Whereas role reversal now for me. And so that's why I was saying to you, you know, there's po- post, uh, pre-accident and post-accident. I'm a different person. Yeah, and the stress is a mad one, isn't it? Like I, even just recently, just was busy the last number of weeks. Um, just, you know yourself, I just get busy and yeah. you get caught up in being being busy. You kind of just, you just get caught up in being busy and you get yeah. on the treadmill or whatever, whatever they say, the hamster wheel. And um, I knew Chris was coming up. Anyway, I went down to Stewart Island, an island at the very bottom of New Zealand there with a couple of friends and mm. went into a hot, no electricity, um, no running water, nothing like for four days and off the grid all this and like man just feel incredible like i knew i was a little i knew i needed the break and i knew i was getting things finished up for the christmas and that this that and the other but uh wow and i wow it was just incredible and it just makes you real when you have a reset like that makes you realize how like what you just said is no stress like it's it's just a killer it's 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 just nuts but like it's it's terrible that um that that you know sometimes we have to go through something very traumatic or you know to realize it and that's what i had to do like you know i didn't actually believe in stress i didn't believe in any of this type of stuff because again like you just said there i was just going through life i was going through all the motions and everything like that but you know i never took time to to um to um to um you know to understand what was going on because it's just so busy you're jumping from one thing to the next to the next to the next and ultimately yeah you know something has to give at some stage you know so it's just crazy but look at and and the world isn't getting less stressed it's getting more advantage 100 percent and chatting about the visualization that you did when you were lying on the bed. Yeah, so that's 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 um, so I I use visualization massively. Um, so, but like people can say like I visualize like again, this is my opinion, you know. Um, you know, they say the visualize and the visualize, but you know, there's there's certain elements to visualize, and I can visualize I win the the lotto, but like, you know. That's pretty far fetched, you know. Uh, you know, everybody would win the lottery if it was that simple. But no, so I use visualization in terms of, but I, I use it in a way that uh, while I'm visualizing things, I actually believe in what I'm visualizing. So what I mean, and, and there's a little, there's an element of how to say, re- no, it's not reality, but there is an element of, do you know something? That maybe is how it works. So for I was sick for for my big right toe. That was the first thing I moved was my big right toe. So why did I big my big right toe? I don't know originally why I picked it, but I do know what it was in my visualization. My big right toe was the switch in the wall. That's what my big right toe was. Or it was it was it was my finger right beside the switch. That's what it was. And then my brain. So bear in mind, my, my sp- spinal cord was severed by 90%. So ultimately, the connection, why was I paralyzed? 
my all all my my nerve endings uh, from my brain down to my lower body were, were severed so there was no connections anymore so i was trying to visualize a visualize a connection from my brain down to my lower half of my body some people say well why didn't you visualize your knee why didn't you visualize you know your bum why didn't you visualize you know your calves well they're massive massive parts of my body you know um so start small and go big but I, 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 um, I started off with a big right toe. As I said, that was the, the my, my finger beside the switch of the wall. My brain was the circuit board up in the corner of the room. So it was. So I was trying to get the power from there down my foot to press the press the the, the, the that would turn on the the light in the room. But I didn't just visualize that. Then I visualized that. I visualized this wire inside my brain going all the way down through my body, down through my spine down through my groin, down through my, my you know, the, the shin bone, down through my ankle, right down through into the toe. And I did this every waking moment I had when I was on my own. Every waking now, And when I say every waking moment, I was awake for those 72 hours because the pain was so bloody intense. So I, it wasn't like I wasn't able to, it wasn't like um, I did it and, and stayed and kept myself awake. I was kept awake from the pain. So I just kept doing it. And ultimately, after 72 hours, nothing happened. But by God, that didn't stop me. I, I stayed doing it. I stayed doing it. I stayed doing it. And thankfully, um, 21 days later, half two at night in um, the St. Bridges Ward down in Galway, I had got transferred down while I was waiting for my bed in the National Rehabilitation. Worst time in any hospital to do anything is like in between two and five o'clock in the morning because there's just nobody around. So around half two, I, I, I thought I'd move my big toe. But I thought I was also hallucinating because I was so tired. And, you know, I, I, was, I was dreaming of this moment for so long, you know. But I did. And uh, thankfully, uh, uh, Nurse Zay came in to me at half six. And, you know, I did it for him. And then the nurse came in and the doctor came in. And I said, make a long story short, I moved my big right toe. And I put massively down to visualization, you know. Um, yeah. That's incredible. Mm. And yeah, they've done the studies and it's fact that when you do exactly what you said there, that it fires the muscles and the neuro or the neurons in your brain, it fires everything in that part of your body that you're visualizing. So like mm. what I, my, what I do and say, if you're visualizing your kicking or your passing on a rugby field or something, it fires the muscles in your legs. It fires the muscles in your arms and you get that muscle memory from visualizing. You know, we used to think that, you know, do a hundred reps out and you, of course you got to do the reps as well. Like, yeah. you know, you then have yeah. to keep moving the big toe, work the big toe once you got it going. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's like, it's fact now. Whereas I don't know, did you know much about this beforehand or, like was this where did this come from it's just something i've used in my life a good bit you know um it didn't really come from anywhere like i'd be straight with you like i remember one of the very first times i would have used it was after the 1995 world cup when john aluma was was uh you know playing it and we've uh we're my dad my dad's house you know there's a few trees in the garden the foot the front and Sure, I used to visualize with the ball in one hand running around and, and I would pretend to be John Aluma running around the trees, you know. So that's where, you know, that's what was my first sense of visualization, you know. And um like, you know, even like I know this sounds crazy, but like 
you know, I, I, I dreamt and visualized a plane for Ireland, you know. Now, this is a guy from Monavay, small rugby club, vision, thinking about playing for Ireland. I used visualization even back in those days. And that's what I was doing, running around the, you know, the pitch and things like that. And like that, now, I did manage to do it, you know. Um, so, again, I used visualization back in those days. But did I use it as much as that? Definitely not. But I knew there was... How I say, even in business, I I I would visualize things. You know, I'd visualize um, where I want to go with the business, and I would. I suppose that's nearly more dreaming about it. But I still visualize, and I still thought about it a lot, and but it helped me keep my mind focused on what I really, really wanted as well. So um, yeah, yeah, I I used it all the way up through. But no, in terms of knowing the size behind it, not a clue. I just knew it, it helped me. It worked for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I was the exact same. Like in the back garden, I, you know, I remember the exact same as you wearing a green jersey and wanting to play with Ireland. I just decided when I was seven or eight or nine or somewhere around there that that's and yeah, just running around. I think yeah. everyone kind of does that, and it's it is powerful. It is, yeah. Like, I know it's one of my fondest memories as a child. Like, you know what I mean? Doing that, you know, like. If anybody was driving up and down the road, they must be looking at this like, what the hell is he at? <laughs> you know? But I, I didn't care. I was in my own little world and my own little element and it worked, you know? And so I'm, I'm just a massive, a massive believer. And I suppose that helped, you know, when it came to when I really, really needed most that I was a believer in visualization, you know? And, you know, I, I'd used it before. So I, I suppose it wasn't something that I just chose to do out of the blue. It was part of my life already. Yeah. And the difference between, like you mentioned, and I think it's something it gets thrown around a lot nowadays, like visualization, the same way meditation does, the same way all these these words do get thrown around. And yeah. like you said about, oh, visualize winning the lotto. Like to someone listening I used to be a skeptic about nearly everything. I was like, and I would have been, like you say, I would have been visualizing, I would have been seeing myself playing with Ireland. I would have been, even when I was out in the field, like I would have been from a sports point of view doing all that. But then I was just very negative or very like a cynic, you know, ah, sure, that won't work. Ah, sure, that's stupid. Ah, sure. That's how I was, you know, when I was younger. And so there, I'm not trying to convert anyone, but like, some people who hear it, then they say, all right, that's a load of crap. Sure. If I visualize, sure. I visualize win the lotto. It doesn't work, but I know the difference, but like chat to me about, you're kind of getting onto it there, about like the difference about, of what you were doing, say to get, to get to where you are starting off the difference in that, I don't know, um, visualizing versus thinking about win the lotto once or twice. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you know, I suppose, I visualized about something that I could um, take part in to make my visualization come true. That would be a big thing. Do you, do you get me? Like, I wasn't visualizing. I, 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 an anthem I've ever visualized isn't about depending on others for my visualization to come true. Everything I've always done is visualize about something that I have control over. So this is where I, you know, you can visualize all you want about something that you have no control over. And if it comes true, that's bloody luck, not 
visualization. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you can only really visualize about stuff that you as a person have control over and that then has a chance of succeeding if if, if there's a chance at all. You know, so that's that's how I would, you know, the people who, who believe and don't believe in it. Well, I believe that the people who don't believe in it is the ones that, as you said, I visualize winning the lotto. And they go out and play the lotto and they don't win it. But I'm sorry, but like, you you don't pick the numbers. You can't influence the numbers. You know what I mean? But if that same person went out and said, I visualize that that wall and that yard is going to get built over the next few weeks. Oh, and I'm going to do it. Well, you know, you can be part of that. And that's that's what I believe in it was. Um, that that's where I was very much like yourself. Up to this accent, I didn't believe in alternative medicines much. I didn't, you know, um, but I always believed in visualization because I used it. But after the accident, I used many different um, alternative medicines, and some worked and some didn't. But if you ask me to try something now, I'll try it. Because what have you to lose? Do you know? Um, and that's my my change of mindset as well now massively. You know, it's in, my mind is now. I was I was I was in a a gig there the last day, uh, for Galway Skillnet, and uh, there's a guy in it. Uh, David Meads was his name. And he, he talked about the open mind and the closed mind. And um, I was definitely a, a closed mind type of person. Um, prior to the accent, where now I'm very much an open mind person that's just open to, you know, try and do anything, and it may work. And if it doesn't, at least you've tried. 100%. Yeah, 100%. That's so important, that um, open-mindedness. So, so important. And chat to me about the alternative medicines that you did, or the ones that you tried around then. Well, um, the ones that worked for me was acupuncture, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so... Absolutely brilliant. Now, I, I, I tried a few different acupuncture people. And I'll be honest with you. Um, two of them were absolutely terrible. Only did one session with them straight away. I knew absolutely not. But then we found this person who actually really specialized in, um, you know, uh, back and spinal injuries. So and I would, actually didn't live far away from me. I found her absolutely amazing. Um, and I, th I think that was a big help to me. And then also did um well, what you call it, you know, the, the, the feast, the rubbing of the feet, um you know, the ones where they you know, the, the each different parts of the feet are connected to different parts of your body. Um oh what's it called again? I did that. I found like that very, very points. Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't feel I could see them touch my feet because I still don't have feelings in the bottom of my feet, like, you know, and there's a lot of parts of my lower body I don't have feelings in them either. But I couldn't see or and I couldn't even though I couldn't feel her pressing the feet, I could feel the sensations in different parts of my body. I was like, I just thought that was, and that even made her more, it drove home to me that these pressure points are really pressure points. Because as I said, like, I couldn't feel her feel my feet, but I could feel it in the rest part of my body. And it was like, she said, now you should be feeling something here. And I would be. Uh, so that was really good. Um, 
what else did I did I oh yeah and another one then which isn't I suppose not really a terrible uh, cold water submersion I tried that and I found that absolutely fantastic for pain so I did that's why I found out not so much in terms of movements or anything like that but in terms of my pain levels I did the um you know the 28 days in Freesbury you know one minute first day two minutes second day three minutes you know so on and I just after the doing the month my pain threshold my pain levels had went down massively so they had and um now I I only ever have cold showers I just find them really really um if you have any bad, if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling great, <laughs> cold shower fairly wakens you up and, and dust down those cobwebs, you know. And so they'd be the, they'd be the main things that I, I found um, very, very beneficial to my recovery. Class. Yeah, the cold water is just wild. How Isn't it? good and how, oh man. Yeah, like I, I kind of came across it about four years ago ish, and I got depressed about six years ago. Shoulder injury, playing rugby, and probably many other things that kind of like, you know, there are other things in the background that got really bad, and then it just kind of anyway. I was just went into a dark place, and I yeah, kind of trying everything. Like I, I'd be reading everything, like spirituality, mindfulness, um everything philosophy psychology everything just everything i'd be reading just like wow, what's the answer you know like how can and i never took any tablets or anything you know and i didn't say it to anyone else which look you should always but anyway i didn't yeah. and um but the and try different things and lots of different things to help but the cold water like just for the mind and for like we all have mental health you know it's you don't need to be depressed to we all you can have a bad day and that's just maybe a drop from 100 to 98 or like you say you wake up and you're not feeling great you're dropping yeah. from 100 to 94 or 5 or 6 or whatever and sometimes i'm not you don't have to be at 10 or 20 but every yeah. morning i do the cold shower and about four years ago i i started doing it and i was just like you kind of feel like you've control as well and you just it just literally is like flicking a switch and every day not every day but like the past two years i don't know if i've missed it a morning i just i get up and i get in that cold shower and it's just like you just are bouncing after it it's all you do yeah all all negativity just seems to vanish you know it just i don't know what it is it just seems to well it's so bloody cold <laughs> you don't have any other thoughts in your head you know but like it's that you know and like i don't spend long in there like it's literally two or three minutes and i'm out again and you know, how much longer do you need to spend in a shower i know it's to clean yourself you know um but I, i'd be the same now i find that absolutely just to start off the day is fantastic now there's there's a few things like i found now you know for my own mental health because i obviously had those issues as well is I need to now kind of like that. If I don't have a cold shower in the morning, my day mightn't go as well. Um, which I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I feel now I have to have a cold shower every morning. If I don't eat right and if I don't sleep, those three things, if I do those, I'm, I feel like I'm bulletproof. If I miss one of those things, um, you know, I'm not feeling as good. Now, I'm not feeling bad, but I know I've missed one. Now, whether that's a habit or or what, I don't know. 
But uh, whatever it is, when I those three, the night sleep, the good shower in the morning, and just eat good quality food during the day, brilliant. I feel I as a bulletproof. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild, and I know the exact same. And like I tried to eat clean, like essentially just eat real food, like eat real yeah. food, like mm. not the processed crap. Like if you look at half, not half, you look at about 85, 90% of the food in a supermarket, it's processed, it's chemicals, it's, and don't yeah. get me wrong, I eat it every week, I eat stuff, I have a bag of crisps at the weekend or whatever, whatever, every week, you know, but for the most part, I just know like Monday, Friday, Monday, Saturday, when I'm being disciplined, you feel incredible. You do. Big ten. Like for me, like now, look, I've I've three young kids, so <laughs> I'm only after they're doing the the, the the last of the Christmas shopping. So the drawers are full of chocolate biscuits, you know, and I end up dipping into those. But I actually don't mind that too much once I've ate healthy as well. Do you know what I mean? It's the day when you just, you know, you decide to get a takeaway and, you know, and you have a chocolate during the day. You know, one of these completely mm. write-off days. You know, and you're just you're going, oh, shit, that's, yeah. You're just, you know, and then you just have to reset yourself and go again and start eating healthy and stuff like that. But like that, like, you know, there's, there's an old saying, you know, get the five in a day, you know, and you're setting yourself well. And I, I try to keep to that, you know get more than five in the day but you know there's there's a reason why there's a saying for it you know yeah 100 percent, exactly i uh, and uh it's interesting then as well like that you know i've eaten well and then like say you have a biscuit you have whatever whatever and you whatever you know you mm. have whatever it is and like I say, the reset and it's uh there's a challenge then as well you know like if you've been eating well for three days in a row the fourth is pretty easy Whereas yeah. then you just, I find it just, you get, I don't know, be hanging out with friends, get a, a fish and chips and a, I don't yeah. know, a dessert or something. And, and then, and a few onion rings and the works. And then the next day it's, it's challenging to get back into the swing of things. But that's, um, having awareness of that is once you have the awareness and then you kind of, I suppose, work hard to get it back. I feel it's okay. Yeah. Look, you have to have fun too. You have to enjoy yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you don't, you you will collapse. Like you know what I mean. So for me, it's it's uh, very important to to be, be, be able to go to have the pints. And but like one time, it was eating junk food, having the pints, and having no exercise, and just being so busy. You know, getting up in the morning, the phone was going, so you, you just didn't even have time to understand what was going on. And the weight just kept on going on. The health started deteriorating. Whereas now, you know. As a, as a reset there, I know if I had a bad a couple of days eating, because I would have went out, say, for I would have went out on a Friday night, which means then on a Saturday, I'm going to be eating junk because, you know, I'm depressed because that's what alcohol is. Uh, and then come Sunday, then I'm going, okay, I need to get back on the bandwagon here. But at least I know it now. Whereas one time, there was no such thing as a reset. I just continued on, you know, and now at least, you know, you're conscious about you know, you can't eat help. You can't eat junk food all the time. You can't, you know, there's repercussions to it. So, yeah, absolutely. And chat to me about the stuff you're up to now. Like the so, 
you met you've got your you know you've got your legs you're running and you said that you don't have some feeling now but how, how are you now so so um yeah and I, I'm, I'm great like you know but like see i suppose I've, I've been blessed in a way right so i went from being a completely able person to being a disabled person to being an able person again so i've been um I've got to see wow people looks at people in a different states. So I suppose I'm very, very lucky where I am. But people just still don't understand that I still have massive issues. Like pain is a huge issue. I'm, I'm, I take 16 tablets a day for my pain. And that only dampens the pain. It doesn't get rid of the pain. So it's that that's that's probably the hardest thing I have to deal with because at night that's when it's worst. Um and now I sleep well, but I still, like, how do I say, I'll wake up four or five times throughout the night just because I have to move because of the pain, things like that. Also, then I have huge toiletry issues because I was paralyzed from my 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 um, my um belly button down, which meant my bowels and my bladder were gone as well. They had to be retrained. And the, the bowels... Or the bladder is fine, but the bowels are still a, a huge issue because I had my, after losing that sensation inside my bowels, I uh, also had to get my um, gold bladder removed. So I have huge issues in terms of toiletries there, you know, um, it can, I can, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've, I've been caught out in places that uh, is very, um, can be very upsetting for a grown adult, especially when somebody looks at me and after having an issue and they say, well, he's a f- fully grown adult, you know, yeah. like, you know, I, you know, there's just, so no, yeah. there's no understanding and there. And then I, yeah. so like, so then I don't have, I have a very poor proprioception. So if I close my eyes and I'm not holding on to something, uh, I, I, I start falling over. And then obviously, then I've obviously then I can sit in something and not realize I'm sitting on something because I don't have feelings in my bum or in the back of my feet. And then a nail can go up through the bottom of my feet, my foot, and it's too far up before I can feel it. So there's all those little things. But trust me, they're so minor that it's not even worth thinking about. And I don't think about it because if I did, you know, I'd be I'd be a fool um, because what I've got back is a million times more valuable than what I didn't get back. Yeah. So yeah. you focus on life and living and all oh, yeah. the, everything that's in front of you. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should like, for I'm saying, I, I know like for me, like that toiletry issue could, could make a lot of people stay indoors. Yeah. You know something? If I if I did that, like, you know, it, you know, yourself staying indoors these southern issues and whatever. It's just not me. I couldn't do it, and I'm I, I just couldn't do it. And um, but I can see how people can do it. You know, I can see how it's really upsetting to other people, and I can see now how this world really isn't, and that's this world is not designed for people with any sort of disability. And it's that's why I'm very, very, I'm very active in relation to trying to help out others 
with disabilities and any organization with that because I just now see firsthand how far we have to come as a world. Um, we think we've come places, but we haven't really. You know, we have a long way to go yet. But it's there. People people want to do it now. Yeah. What what do you mean what do you mean by that? So like um how the world I've I've some ideas, but just yeah, like how the world isn't set up for people with disabilities. Okay, I'll give you an example, right? Town I live in has not as a credit union. Okay, they have to put it in a brand new door for wheelchair users. Okay, you know the one where they press the button and the door opens up? So that's clearly that's a tick a box exercise for the credit union. They actually didn't look into anything other than those ticks their boxes to say they are now a social inclusion premises, which means that people with disabilities can get in. But what they didn't do is that door is up a little bit from the from the ground. And there's a concrete ramp in it, right? That's at 45 degrees and about eight inches, nine inches, right? So a person in a wheelchair has to go up and touch that button, right? Has to wheel himself back, him, her back, and has to take a run at this door to get inside in it. Like literally run in a wheel, you know what I mean? So I'm here going, yeah. but like somebody who doesn't have a disability doesn't see this. But that's why I'm saying is we have a long way to go. And this is why this world is it's still a ticks the box exercise for most organizations. Like I'll give you another bus air in Ireland, right? They spent twenty five to thirty thousand per bus when they buy their new buses, right? With wheelchairs, um, lifts in them, right? Per bus. That's all grand. Again, ticks the box the exercise. But the drivers aren't trained to use them, so the drivers won't use them. So they've all seized up. So there you have this company called Transport for Ireland, and they're all accessible buses, but not one driver is trained up to use them. And they won't use them because of insurances. So again, that's another issue I'm saying. Again, it's all tick box exercises. It's absolutely disgusting. But you see, for, for you, and even for me, when before I was like this, I said, Sure, there's wheelchair in those buses. There's wheelchair lifts. What's the problem? You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying is the world just isn't designed in any shape or form or doesn't care enough um, for people who have disability issues. So that that's what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, you can see I'm kind of getting a little bit angry even talking about it because like it's... I could like I could name a thousand and one different things, you know, but that's why that's exactly what I mean by saying is the world isn't designed for people with disabilities. As much as what's that's gone on, most of it has been tick the box exercises, um, which is actually worse, because you can, for our sake, go to the 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 crazy union in my town. Like, you know that there's people in there and they've ticked the boxes. So if the same person does come up, it's going to actually actually even piss them off more because they know that, that that has been done just to tick a box. Not because the people inside the people, not because the managers or whatever else wants to make this place a, a social inclusion um, premises. 
It's not. It's because they probably got a grant and they ticked the box. That's the reason. So yeah, hundred percent, and um, hundred percent, and a couple of things on that, like you mentioned, the world we live in uh, earlier in the podcast, and mm. the reason. I believe that these kind of companies are doing, are ticking the box, are putting the thing in the bus, are putting the ramp in is so that they can say that they are, whatever the term is, like you say, social inclusion company, so that then they can make more money so that they can say, look at us, look at all that we're doing for disabilities, look at all that we're doing for this uh, minority people and you see it across and I could name many different minorities and yeah. they at the top level in the you know the CEO whatever whatever it's like oh people in the public care now about this minority let's yeah. put a couple of hundred grand into doing something so that we can go out in a marketing campaign and talk about how great we are for this minority so that yeah. people will then see that and they will come and use our um business we're, and then we will make more money yeah we're and, such a good trustworthy company yeah and another one on that then is at another level is governments like you know they just do will get them in for the next election it's like you know oh uh like you say bus Aaron. oh we're doing this that the other for and it's just like like i say tick a box they can say that they've put X amount of money into this and whatever, whatever. And but it's so interesting that you're someone on the ground and you you know, and it's like you just see, like you say, it's taking the box. But from those other levels, they're like, look at the amount of money we put into it. We spent we spent half a million on those buses. <laughs> yeah, but like, why? <laughs> you know. It's it's like it's not join the box like you know okay so it and like there's just so much of it it's it's as you said it's 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 trying to make these big companies it is it's all about profits you know for the companies anyways the government side of things obviously it is about re-election but like now look at talk and I mean this in a really good that there has been huge strides made absolutely huge. But there's a long way to go, you know? Um, so I'm not going to, like, there's organizations out there that really, really do put in massive work, you know? And, um, but it's all about government funding for it, um, you know? Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't so much, the organizations themselves, I wouldn't like to criticize so much because their hands are tied with bureaucracy and funding and stuff like that because there's some really, really top class people in there. Um, and a lot of the people who were involved, in, especially in the, the disability side of things, a lot of people who was involved in it um, have family members who have some sort of disability or, 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 or you know, something else going on. And um, so they have had the, the heart is there as well, so they can get quite frustrated. But it's just, as you said, the government, it's just about re-election, re-election, re-election. And it's, it's, just a, it's just a thought. Yeah. And what are some of the, like if someone wanted to donate some money, like what are the National Rehabilitation Centre, but what are some of the places or or these organisations that you're speaking about? Well, like you have, look at, um, I did, uh, I was the 
keynote speaker on um, for Active Disability Ireland. They've just rebranded. And I mean, the people I met up there were just phenomenal. Absolutely lovely people. The whole seminar was brilliant because the seminar discussed, you know, where the, where the seminar was about connecting the organisations with the people on the ground, you know, and the funding platforms. Um, but what the Snash seminar discussed was how far they've come, but shown like how much further there is, needs to be gone, you know, needs to go. And um, they're they're on top of that, you know, in terms of much they can. But then you have likes of Ability West in Ireland, in the west of Ireland, who look after people with um, mental um, um, issues, you know, or um, codependency, living, you know, getting people from the, you know, it's it's all they do with mostly adults, you know, that um, take them into you know, working environments within the city and Galway and so on, and like just the branches all over the place. But like again, they they're really on the ball as well. And like I know there's I don't know what the names of the ones down in Munster are called and some ones in Dublin. Um they're all doing fabulous, fabulous work. But like the amount of fundraising they need to do to just stay afloat is crazy. You know? And like obviously you have the National Rehabilitation Hospital and, and then our H and but like, I'll give you another example there. Like, I was in the so I I'd actually left NRH for about a month, but there was these games over <laughs> of all places. I'm sure you've heard of Stoke Mandeville now at this stage, have you? Uh, no, with uh, Jimmy Savile, <laughs> you know the controversy with Jimmy Savile. Yeah, you know when the hospital he he used to he had the ward and it was with be doing oh. all there was Stoke Mandeville, which is um was the very first um, disability, or say, yeah, disability hospital in the UK, and the guy who had it, uh, the name is going to, he started the Paralympics movement. But like, we went over there for games for the NRH, which I suppose kind of represents in Ireland, because there's only one disability hospital in Ireland. And, all right, all fairness, the NRH did their part really, really well. But we got over to Stoke Mandeville, and now, we we're meant to be representing. We we're going to be playing against other hospitals from around the UK and our UK. And like, there was I obviously I'd, I'd sports in you know background and like you know, but when we got there, we we're in shared accommodation, um, and there was like remember now these were people severely disabled people with shared showers with aids. We were probably two hours waiting for showers in the morning before we could go because obviously it is a big ordeal and we're in all these like there was maybe 12 or 13 in a room you know um then the food was like a fry and then the organization of the actual tournament itself was a farce i was two hours out in a tennis court waiting for my match because they couldn't tell me when my match was and this now i was in a wheelchair so i was really frozen uh you know all these things and i was here going do you know something that's actually quite very disheartening, you know, because we're meant to be treated as equals, but you wouldn't do this to, if it was a sporting event for able people, would it be like this? Would you be giving them breakfast? Would you be having a lack of shower, toilet facilities? Would you have a lack? You know what I mean? And even picking them up at the airport was a disaster. They didn't have the right type of buses to pick us up, or rather, because again, most of the people are in wheelchairs. I was here going, 
Now, and then our H, the National Rehabilitation, their side of the organisation was very good. But once we got over there, it was a disaster. So, like, I came away from that more different. I, I went, absolutely couldn't wait to get involved in it. Within one day of being there, I just, just give up. I said, this is a disaster. And I actually ended up going drinking with one of the, the carers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was a disaster. But um, you know, but, but again, that's what happens when you have people who don't have disabilities looking after people who have disabilities. They're not again people with disabilities not having an input. You know, um, and that's just the reality. Mm. Yeah, and the now, so you're doing fundraising yourself, and um, mm. you. Like t- chat to me about the running you did, like that's incredible. I've just seen that recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, you know, I hadn't, I actually hadn't ran since the accident, so I hadn't, and um, uh, it's very, very awkward. Uh, my running because again, I don't have the feelings of the feet, so I get all the impact around my hips. So it was extremely awkward. So I, I had kind of done a small bit of running since the accident. And when I say small bit, it would have been like up in the gym where you do the circuit training and then there'll be a section where you like run 20 meters run 20 meters run 20 meters maybe do that six times and that was it but i kind of said to myself i needed a reset from the row because i still felt the row was a failure and i knew i could do still do you know hard things but i didn't know what to do so and i just knew i just knew why i Kim, I, do you know what? I need a reset. I need to do something that you know a lot of people won't do, that I know I will do. Because even if I have to, you know, you know, nearly kill myself, I, I'll, I'll get it done. You know, and once it's my project and nobody else's, I, I'm, I'm going to get it done. So I don't know why. I just decided one day I go for a run. I said, do you know what? I've been putting excuses in front of me all my life. I'm too big for marathon running. And I also had this thing about doing a marathon, but I was making every excuse underneath the sun when I had it, when I was able body, never to do it, you know? And I said, you know what, I'm going to go for a run. So off I went and I was around like maybe a kilometre the first day, you know, and I felt awful awkward. So I did. And I said, hmm, this is interesting. So I went for another run and I went for a third run. And this was, I said, do you know what I'm going to do now? No more than my walk across the country. Because I like a hard challenge and I don't like a big lead up to these challenges either. I just like a hard challenge. So I said, about, I said, do you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to do the run. I'm going to run the same trek that I did when I walked across the country a year after my accident. I was running from Atherai to Dublin, 208 kilometers. So I'll run it this time, not walk it. Okay? So then I said, do you know something now? I'll do it in less days. Rather than doing five marathons for five days, I'll do four mar- five marathons in four days. I'll do 52 kilometers a day. And that was nine weeks out. And then I I got talked to this guy that I used to play rugby with up in uh, up in Sawtill, Devon, uh, soccer pitch. And his daughter, my daughter, were playing soccer up there. And sure, that night I put it out on social media. I didn't tell him anything. And that night I put it out on social media that uh, I was going to do this. So, see, that's me taking ownership of it. I said, if I put out on social media, I'm going to do something. I can't pull out. I have, you know what I mean? So I put it out there. Next week, Robbie sends me a message. Is there anybody doing it with you? I said, no. Can I do it with you? I said, yeah, sure, why not? So nine weeks out, we uh, two of us, we did uh, five marathons in four days. It was tough going, but by Jesus, it was enjoyable. And we raised about 12000 for the NRH. So 
Yeah, really good. But that that's kind of my mentality, you know, that I, I just like, um, you know, I, I needed a reset. I needed that reset to say, yeah, I, I'm still capable of doing hard things and, and not feel like a failure, you know. So and I knew, like, if I did that run, even if I had to crawl over the line, I could do it, you know. So, yeah, so that's what we did with the roll. Love it. Incredible. Yeah. And so you had ran in, and even when you were able body, you probably weren't running too much, but like in, you had no. ran a kilometre or two kilometres and you had been in a wheelchair and then you said, um, and you just said, you just, what, you just felt, you felt you needed it and you just pulled the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I said, I need, because I'll be honest with you, I, I, since I came off that row, I was definitely not back to the person I was. I was being very narky. I was being um, very sharp with people that I loved, you know, and I, I definitely wasn't 100%, you know, and it was dragging me down. And I, I knew I needed to do something. And I, and the minute I decided I needed that reset, it changed everything. I could just get and, and I just, it was my project and, you know, it just, it, it reset absolutely everything. And I tell you, this it was the best decision I ever made. So people see me doing these things, right? But I'm doing them for myself. As much as anything else, it's great to be able to raise awareness. It's great to be able to raise a few pounds. It's great to have a lad join me. You know, it's great to do all those things. But ultimately, I'm actually doing a lot of these things for myself as well, like, you know. And the other bonuses, you know, were add-ons, you know, are, are great. But that definitely run was something that I did for myself to get a reset. And it worked. Yeah, brilliant. And and then the row you mentioned for people or just for people who haven't heard about that. Yeah. Um and so or just yeah, briefly shall mention that or Yeah. Um so like looking back at it, like okay, so the row was Rowing from New York to Galway, 5,000 kilometers. Uh, Try to beat the world record of 55 days, 13 hours with uh, a good friend of mine, Damien Brown, who had rowed the Southern uh, Atlantic before. And I suppose we took on this challenge and then COVID hit. And, you know, we did, we did all our trainings and, um, on land. And then um, Damien had to move back to Australia like about a year beforehand. And, and, um, you know, so we were, we were meant to go off and do a lot of ocean rowing ourselves before we actually did the actual, before we rowed out Manhattan, but that never materialised. And like, I, I just thought I was pretty much invincible, you know, because I had bet the, at that stage, I'd bet the prognosis and never walk it again and walked across the country. And then also I had, I fell into uh, manic depression and I, I, I got myself out of that as well. And, um, you know, I just felt pretty much, you know, that until I put my mind to I could succeed. But ultimately now, and this is all in hindsight, I I never, so number one is um, when I was doing all the training and everything, I always had my bed and I always had good food. That's number one. Number two is we never factor in that also my body is fighting that pain 24-7. So that's a real tiring effect. So you know how I say I go, go to sleep. So what, how I go to sleep at night is exhaustion. So it's like literally I'll be there and I'll I'll put on something to listen to and I'll I'll just drift off to sleep. I'll sleep for two hours, I'll wake up again with the pain and then exhaustion will get me back to sleep again, you know. So that's kind of the way that works. So I I 
we didn't factor that one in. And then the last one then is, I didn't build up a body of resilience either. You know, I didn't go off and climb any mountains. I didn't do an easier ocean row. I didn't do, you know, I didn't build up that resilience factor with inside me that, you know, not sleep in my own bed. And then also, I never got out in the water until we left Manhattan. You know, so the first time I went out in the open ocean was leaving Manhattan. You know, so, yeah, I still thought I'd do it, though. <laughs> and not not until a day before I got excavated off that boat did I not think I was going to do it. You know, you know, so it was only that last last 36 hours where I was going, no, I'm, I'm in serious trouble here. Yeah, and how many days were you on the boat again? It was only 13 and a half days, got down 14. Yeah. So, like, but, so... That 13th day, I'm very happy what we did. Got we, we rolled from New York into the Gulf Stream. Uh, the New York, New York to the Gulf Stream is one of the hardest is is the hard, one of the hardest sections because you're dealing with the Labrador Current coming down from Newfoundland. You're also going through the Grand Banks region, you know, and um, you're also quite close, would you believe, to land because you're kind of going along the Newfoundland coastline to a certain degree as you're going towards Ireland. So in between all those. Um, you know, it's considered one of the hardest um, parts of the row. And then I actually started failing when we got into the Gulf Stream. Uh, and we were like rowing at 1.5 to 2 knots per hour. Prior to that, when we got to the Gulf Stream, we were rowing at 4 to 5 knots per hour because the stream was bringing us towards Ireland. And like, that was about a 1,000 kilometers. And um, we were told that if we get to the Gulf Stream, you know, a few days behind the world record of 50, you know, a few days behind the time of the world record, that the Gulf Stream we could make it up. But we got into Gulf Stream on time. So we had, and that is the part that absolutely kills me is that we were going unbelievably well. And the documentary that came out there, Steve Martin, who was our weather router, he says to himself, like, he was giving us uh, waypoints to hit, and we were hitting them every time. He was like, he was rewriting the waypoints because he's going, fuck, these lads are, because there was, um, yeah, we just, we just didn't want to be in that cabin together. So we just stayed rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing. When most other ocean rowers uh, would have stopped and put out the power anchor, we just stay going. So, and maybe that was my downfall. I don't know. We'll never know. But, yeah. Yeah. Unreal. And it's all learning and it's, um, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. It's just all everything is learning life, and it's so interesting. Like you say, only 13, 14 days. Like someone listening, imagine try, try put your phone away for three days. Try put your <laughs> yeah. phone away for four days, and look at how difficult you will find putting your phone away for three or four days. And you're saying about Rowan True, yeah. borderline nonstop for thirteen days. You know what I mean? It's just to put it into a bit of perspective, or to someone go for a 10k run four days in a row and look at or you know and have your netflix and have your bed and have your everything and all you know what i mean and it's like yeah and yeah 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 i know but the big thing though is i i had we told the world we're going to beat that world record you know and that's that's the hardest part you know um and then obviously leaving Damien there. And like he did another 99 days. 
you know, and if I was with them, we were definitely close to that 55 days, whether we would have done it or not. And the reason why it took him so long is because obviously he started getting into bad or weather that we would avoid it if I was still there. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and it made his journey way more difficult, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it's just that disappointment. But that's why I had to do that run because I was carrying that sense of failure and the sense of disappointment and everything. Um, until I did that marathons, which was only five or six weeks ago, I was carrying it heavily, um, because of, that's the way I viewed it, and I just I just knew I needed a reset because I couldn't get it out of my head. I couldn't I couldn't deal with it, and since I was did that run, things have changed completely. Yeah, class, and I think it's a part that we're always like competing against our potential or what we know we're capable of, you know, and like trying mm-hmm. to get there. And it's like, you knew that you had more in you and that that wasn't your peak or that's something I find. Like I, I get, I know exactly what you mean when you're just like, I need to do something here. I need to, and yeah, like just be, be better yeah. than I am being. Yeah. yeah. Just, just you need you, you. just need to do something that you know that you're proud of. That's that's something that I I find I like a big thing too for me is like I know I like wearing awareness. And I do it from self, but I, I like to be. I like to know that my kids are proud of me. You know, I like doing things that makes them proud, which in turn then makes me proud as well. You know, so I I find that's why if I put something out on social media, you know it drives me to make sure that I don't let myself down. And then at the end of it, I'm proud of what I've achieved. And it's then that, I suppose it's about being accountable. If you don't put it out, if like I said, I could tell that anyway, oh, I'm going to do five marathons, right? But I keep it to myself. If I keep it to myself, it makes it very easy to get out of it because nobody knows other than yourself. But if you put it out there, you, you know, you've kind of said to yourself, okay, now you have to do it. Go out and do it, you know. Um, and it just gives you that a little bit more accountability. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, hundred percent. That's class. Yeah, you got me going now. I think. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got me thinking now. Yeah. yeah I reckon I need. I need to. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon I need to do a marathon. I need to, yeah, go and run one. Yeah. All right. It's really sore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I know. I uh, so I'll do, get out and do one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Too. Like, put it this way, I uh, won't be doing I, a marathon again. <laughs> not a chance. Yeah, I've done yeah, it now. You've done, yeah, but it's, it's, I know what you mean. It's like what you feel. Like, it's, it's, uh, what happened to me? I know it's you just get a feeling and you get a kind of a calling and once again other people can say ah oh, that's a load of a load of bs or whatever but like you get a feeling and a calling to do something within you and you can't you can't turn away from it you because it keeps coming back and yeah i remember like i got a concussion 18 months ago nearly two years ago and i was i was fucked for six eight months i couldn't I, really at the start i couldn't walk man i couldn't walk i had pounding headaches for every day i couldn't oh light like light was sense like i couldn't couldn't sleep properly like uh, i would look at a computer screen for five minutes and my head would be pounding and it was just it was shocking and 
I, I would go to the gym like four months after, go under the bench press, one rep, two rep, head pounding, and just have to go home. And like I was shaking, my hands were shaking, like I literally had shaky hands, like someone with, with Parkinson's or something. Um, yeah. I was just all over the place. And I, you know, was getting better. And I, like I'm good now, I'm probably 97, 8%. It's nearly two, it's April 22. But anyway, I remember like that, I couldn't lift weights, but I just fucking needed to do something. And I ran kind of two half marathons, or I ran a half marathon. I was coaching rugby then, because I had to stop playing and I was coaching. I remember it was a Saturday yeah. and it was a new season. It was about six, seven months after the concussion. And it was a new season and the boys were playing. It was good weather, you know, the start of the season. And it was Saturday, I just said, I fucking need to go and do something here. And I just did a 22K before it. And then the next Saturday did another 22K. And, but you just, um, that's nothing, but you just you just get a feeling of, I, I know what you mean, you get a feeling of you need to do something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just make you feel, I don't know, worthwhile or, I don't know what it is, but yeah, you do get this sense, you know, it's just like, I, I have another thing coming up in May, you know, and May is a long way away. <laughs> I, I might try and fit in something else in between then and now, you know, but at the moment I'm comfortable, but at the same time I'm saying to myself, geez, me is a long way away. <laughs> so I might do something small. I don't know what yet, but it might come to me. But at the moment we're doing something in May. But like that now, I I I I, I enjoy the three tram or three three um so I love the challenge, okay? I love doing the challenge. And I like the suffering during the challenge. But I also love the elements of being able to um, do something and raise money. I don't know, that gives me massive satisfaction. Um, and I love like tagging things on to that. And then I also love is the relationships you build through these. Like the guy who, who I did the run with, Robbie Kavanagh, I played rugby with him and I played rugby against him, but I hadn't talked to that man in 10 or 12 years. I'm sure now we're going for drinks together, we're having the crack together, we're WhatsApping each other, you know. Uh, and like it was like, and another friend of mine who, who did the drive in the car, like, you know, same thing is like we've kind of rekindled an old relationship that we were always friends, but just there's nothing to ever bring us together. We're now this brought us together. You know, that's what I love about it. You know, it's just not just the one thing out of it. It's not just that accomplishment. It's, there's other side effects to it as well, which are good side effects. Yeah. Yeah, that shared experience, you know, and like yeah. you mentioned playing rugby and like, I know that side of it myself as well, but, and the shared suffering, as I know the guy in the car, probably, well, he wasn't suffering, but the shared experience and then the shared suffering and those kind of, the two of those things really bring bring you together. And I was just even, I'm doing pre-season now at the moment. I coach rugby here in New Zealand and yeah. that's why I'm here. And um, I, I've heard it from a couple of different people. And I remember even, uh, was it Leinster and Michael Checa when he came in first and they were running Kleine Hill, he was saying like, I don't know who was it, Driscoll or Darcy or someone saying that, yeah, they did some savage running there in preseason. And I heard Cheka talking about it and he was saying that like that you just, you gotta, you know, forget that you have your sports science, you have your, you have your data, you have, and all that's important. Don't get me wrong. Very important. But every now and again, there, 
the people need to go to a dark place. And when you do go to that dark place together, and we've all yeah. been there in a preseason when you're just doing a session and it's like, you feel like you're going to die. You feel like it'll never end. You feel yeah. like you can't take another step, but you keep doing it. And it just brings everyone so close. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Whatever, whatever's in it again. Like I, I, I'm not into, I don't know much about psychology or any of that type of stuff, you know, but there is something so much into suffering together and shared experiences. And the harder the shared experiences, I think, the better, you know. Um, you know, so but also you have to realise that, you know, to have these shared experiences, there's other people around you helping you, you know. You know, so if I would say Cheka wasn't doing that run with them, but he enabled those guys to have that incredible shared experiences. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'd be like our guy who was doing the driving the car. Now, we thought he was actually suffering more than us because imagine driving a car all the way up to Dublin at like two or three miles an hour. Man, that's that's boring. <laughs> and nobody else is yeah. like, you know. <laughs> you know, at least myself and Robbie had to each other to talk to have a bit of crack with each other. But um, yeah, you know, so you know what I mean? In, without, without, and then in the evenings when, when he'd be finished parking, he'd be going off getting us the food and the, the ice for the baths and all. So like an awful important cog in the, in, in, in the runs you know, so again, myself and Robbie couldn't have had that shared experience without Willie. So, you know, so you have to be very thankful for that. Yeah. And what's coming up in, yeah, sorry, just here, just to say, yeah, so important. Yeah, be very thankful for that. The people around you and the people that help yeah. you do, do anything that you do. And uh, yeah, I think that's so important as well, just to, yeah, just to have that gratitude and just yeah and understand that it's not all you and that other people help you achieve whatever you achieve and and yeah. get wherever you go you know in anything you do i think this is really important point as well um what are you up to in may so we're doing a four peaks challenge just the four highest peaks in each of the four provinces and we're trying to do them in 24 hours so we are um so it's karen tool in um in uh kerry uh, Loch Nagilling, Wicklow, Dunard and Ulster and Mulneray and Mayo. Uh, three, four hours we're trying to do the four peaks. So we are, we're, we're actually fundraising for um, these things called cubbies. Uh, so there are sensory rooms that people with autisms or social issues, you know, that if they want to go to uh, take part in a rugby tournament or to go to watch a rugby match or something like this, it's a mobile cubbies um, that can be brought there. So the child or the adult or whoever else can go and if they're having a sensory overload they can go inside these cubbies and relax helps them relax them and stuff like that so again it's all around the social inclusion side of things you know um you know and that, that's what we're trying to raise money for and that that's uh yeah that's what we're trying to do for that class so be, fair play yeah, yeah. It'd, be a, it'd, be, uh, it'd be a nice one yeah yeah and the four peaks Talk, mm. talk to you a bit about the, the not the admin, but the strategy or the planning or the, so I get the climbing up the mountain, but how, how are you going to go about it? Uh, so we're actually doing it also in electric cars. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, uh, have you heard of Peter Bracken? You know Peter Bracken? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, yeah, he's a yeah. modern seven Peter are good old friends, you know. And so he's, he's, a, he's, he's a big, um, ambassador for electric cars so 
we're going to start in uh, Dunard. We want to finish in Connacht, Dunard. So we're going to start in Dunard, which we we estimate now we is about a three hour climb up and down. And then while we're up, we're up and down, we're getting the electric cars. There'll be probably two cars. Um, now, by the way, we're, we're hoping to get a, a group of uh, social inclusion people to climb the mountain as well, but not on our, on the same, on every one of them will be in each place on, on the 24 hours, but we'll be climbing it separately because we have to keep to a certain pace and whatever else, but they'll be climbing after us, you know, and People will be taking part, and we're hoping that everybody who takes part raises just a hundred euro to take part to it. So, and there'll be guides in each each mountain, and then we'll get on the electric car. We'll we'll juice up, we'll rest, we'll get food into us, and then we'll get down to Loch Nagilly. Same process happens to look Loch Nagilly again. Loch Nagilly is around a three hour trek up and down when 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 healthy you know not so tired and then we go to Karen Tool, which is the hardest climb that's about four hours four and a half hours depends on what route you take and um, it depends on the weather then as well and then the big drive then is uh, big drive then is from Karen Tool all the way through Galway um, into Mulderay and that's about three hours as well and that will be one will be done in the peak dark so it'll be so that's going to be you know a trickier one than, than the rest of them now Karen Tool will come down Karen Tool will it be dark no no that'll be the only one that'll be done in the dark so it'll be you know so um, wow. yeah that, that's that's how we hope to do it we want to finish in Connacht because obviously we're Connacht people you know yeah what yeah, we're trying to do then is have that yeah exactly you know Mulderay most beautiful part of well no it's in Mayo so we'll say less said about that better. no no that's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Mayo man yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, yes. we're, we're, we've still a bit of we've got a bit of planning yet to do. You know, we still have to. We're hoping to have a, a rugby legend at each mountain as well to help with the profile and a few different things like that. You know, a few things up our sleeve. Yes. So we're trying to make this a big, big one in terms of the fundraising because we're trying to get a cobby for each province. So that's four cobbies, big money. So there, you know. So we, we need to be raised over a hundred thousand. So um, yeah. So we're trying to get as much high profile now as possible out of this one, you know. So we're actually we're doing Mulderay on the thirteenth. So we are. We're going to see myself and Robbie Cab. Robbie Cab allowed to the run. Seven, seven. We're going to see how quick we can go up and down Mulderay now on in thirteenth of December, and hopefully it's under three hours. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, just side point. Anyone listening here, um, sharing stuff on social media like you're the toughest trek. Uh, the underscore toughest underscore trek on instagram and just uh i think that's where the power is so like just uh, follow yeah. there and then when you're putting up stuff about it like just simply mm-hmm. a simple share every time you see something is huge and it just literally could be a couple of hundred euro every share you never know who sees it you know you know these different yeah. things so i think just the power of social media as well and yeah just people don't underestimate obviously give a few euro but don't underestimate as well the power of you know sharing different things sharing, yeah. when you're yeah and i think um or just with the plan would you be thinking of um having pacers or someone like i know people like coming and social climb to be involved hmm. but like yeah. i think geez when you're on number three like karen tool or back like someone to kind of help you help you up the way yeah, so um, we are, we have, um, I know a person down in Waterford and they're, they're heavily involved in 
Ireland hiking trails, you know, and they have people around different places. So that person is hoping to organize, you know, somebody to get us up and down as quick as possible. Um, now, nothing has been confirmed yet, but I've asked the question and they've, they've said, yeah, but that's as far as gone, you know. We said we're sitting tight now until after Christmas and all that type of stuff. But yeah, very, very valid point, but I think we're on top of it, I think. But we'll see. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's going to be no problems, like, you know, with, with it. But yeah, very good point, especially the last array, you know, um, you know, that especially at night, if we have somebody like maybe 20, 10, 20 meters ahead of us with a torch light that we, we know where we're going, you know, that we don't have to keep on looking solidly at the ground, um, that somebody's in front of us, guiding us, um, will help a lot, big time. Because again, as I said, it's, it's at night and you know, it's yourself now, May can be just as bad as December in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But geez, fair play. And so you're going to do a bit of hiking bef- between now and then just um, yeah, to yeah. get going. What, what's your kind of, what's your kind of daily or weekly schedule with training or what do you get up to these days kind of? Uh, um, so at the moment we were, um, at the moment I've actually stayed away from the gym since I did that run and all I've been doing really. So I've just taken a kind of a, a break, but I have gone back into training for the last two weeks Um Primarily because my daughter, she's only 12, and she wants to do that right 10K run. And uh, so I said, I'll do it with her. So the two of us have just been gone up now, doing a bit of running around the place. Um, and then that Robbie Kavanagh, we did uh, a couple of hill runs as well, down around where he lives, which is um, Belclare Hill. Um, you know, it's, so, so you, you know, not, not high, but it still gets you breathing hard but that's it um i'm going to just continue on the bit of running over the christmas um and then the new year now i'm going to start back into the gym now um in a, in a big way um i like mixing up my training i really do um i might say do six weeks of circus on a circle training then do nothing next six weeks i could do just like solely weights you know um um then the next six weeks, I could just do all, all out and out fitness, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, um, um, dark, um, you know, intervals and stuff like that. So I, I kind of always mix it up. If I get myself very bored, you know, doing the one thing all the time. So that's why I try to always mix it up. So, yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, brilliant stuff. Um, first, thanks for your time, but unreal chatting. Been class. Yeah, you too, right now. Good to see you. Good to meet you. And just before we go, um, cheers. And just before we go, so on Instagram, best place to find you, the toughest trek? The, yeah, the underscore toughest underscore trek is definitely the best place to find me. And uh, yeah, uh, I only put up posts as that, um, you know, as we're doing stuff. Um, but yeah, everything will be going up there now it's when, when, when it's all happening. Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows 
and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one -on -one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you. You have more to express. You have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one -on -one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, Emil, for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.